Welcome to Art of the Kickstart, your source for crowdfunding campaign success. I'm your host, Roy Morjan, president of Inventus Partners, the top full-service turnkey product development and crowdfunding marketing agency in the world. We have helped startups raise over $100 million for our clients since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Gadget Flow. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to another edition of Art of the Kickstart. Today is a very exciting episode because I am talking with Joe LeMay, co-founder, CEO of Rocketbook. Rocketbook is a 4X creator on Kickstarter. They crowdfunded the first notebook, The Wave, without ever even knowing how to build a product. So I'm really excited to dive in today with Joe and talk about the campaign, their experience on Shark Tank, and teaser alert, an upcoming campaign that's about to launch here very quickly. So Joe, thank you and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Roy. Great to be here. So I always love to start these interviews at the beginning and the inspiration behind creating Rocketbook. Tell our audience where it all began. Oh, yeah, man. So Rocketbook, if you don't know, is just a paper and pen notebook, but it's reusable. And we have an app, too. So when you scan in your notes with it, it transcribes your notes and sends them to various cloud services for you. Uh, And so but really what it came down to was, you know, back in the day, I studied computer science, I was in engineering, and then I was more in the sales side of, of software, just working for medium and larger businesses. And I was, but I was a tech guy, but more and more, while all of my information was in the cloud, I was still a notebook guy and a whiteboard guy. Just how, it's just how I get ideas out of my head and it just feels natural to me. And I do remember one time I was in a sales meeting and I had prepped so many hours just getting ready to understand the potential customer's business and what I was going to pitch to them. Pulled out my notebook in front of the CIO of a pretty big company uh, and I was trying to sell them like a million dollars worth of software. Uh, And uh, that meeting did not go well because that notebook I brought with me was the wrong one. Uh, And just that, that problem of you know, if only those notes were available on my device in a digital format, I wouldn't have had that problem. Uh, so that that stuck with me. I didn't come up with the solution right away. I actually went and tried all the solutions in the market. I tried different various styluses and digital pens and scanning apps and nothing just felt quite right. And uh, just at some point I realized, hey, if nobody is going to build something, maybe I should. And it was around the time uh, when I was I was, it was like 2014. I didn't know. I was obsessed with the idea of Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and crowdfunding, and that people would just like pull out their credit cards and pay for a product that wasn't even built yet. And you could start a company that maybe even investors would never invest in, or you wouldn't have to go through that gauntlet. And I, I was just kind of currently obsessed with that idea. And I was probably like a lot of the people who are listening to your podcast just always trying to think of what could be a cool business idea, what could be a cool technology that I could actually build. And, you know, it kind of clicked together. And, uh, you know, I met my co-founder, Jake Epstein. I, I pitched to him this idea of a, 
of a notebook and a digital app that went with it. It was still a vague idea when we were having beers. And he jumped on it. And literally, like the next day, we shook off our, our hangovers and, and got to work and started to work on what, what's now called Rocketbook. And what's really interesting is that was like, uh, I want to say like December of 2014, we actually launched the campaign and had like six figures of funding by like March of, um, the, of 2015. So, you know, in like four months, we went from real, just an, an idea on a napkin to real revenue, not really recognizable revenue because we didn't have a product that was shippable, but, you know, real money in the bank uh, in the matter of four months. And it just completely blew my mind that we were able to pull it off that, that quickly. You know, now actually getting the product made and, and out to people, uh, that was another challenge all in and of itself, right? Uh, so we didn't really know what we were in for. Um, and it turned out the product was really hard to make. And if we if we hadn't done the crowdfunding campaign and raised, uh, I think at the time it was almost six hundred, a little over $600,000, we had all that pressure on us. We were like, how are we going to make this thing? We might have actually given up if we didn't have all of that pressure on us. Um, and we we almost failed. We almost had to declare bankruptcy we ha- almost had to be like like one of those coolest cooler stories where people um, funded it and never got a product and the company went bankrupt. We came really close to uh, not succeeding, but you know we made it out alive. Uh, we got product out to people, and there's you know plenty of yeah, tales so to tell. Talking along about the way. those tales, and I don't think anybody wants to be a coolest cooler story, unfortunately for Ryan. Um, but let's talk about some of those challenges that you guys encountered. I mean, you hadn't been making product before. You hadn't done anything. You just had this idea. Your buddy says, let's do it. How did you guys go about deciding what features, how to design it? You know, there's a ton of technology built into this thing. Like, how did you go from the idea stage into physically making this thing without all the funding and those sorts of things in terms of getting this company off the ground? Yeah. So, um, so some some of these decisions were made last minute. Uh, you know, the one th- interesting thing is like we knew that the notebook was going to be a paper notebook of a certain type that only used a pen. It wasn't going to have any digital components, but it would have certain markings on the page so that when it worked with a proprietary app that we would build, it would do things that you couldn't do with just a regular scanning app. So we kind of knew what it would do, what we'd have to build. We'd have to build an app on iOS and Android and, and hire software engineers and that was something I was somewhat familiar with, having some software background myself. But I'll tell you how we decided to make the physical pro- product, or at least the decision we made last minute. So I actually had pitched this idea to Jason Calacanis, who runs This Week in Startups, because he had an upcoming festival called the Launch Festival. And I sent him a little video when he tweeted out, he's like, we're, we're looking for new startups who are stealth. Send me you know, your pitch and maybe you can launch on our stage. So I sent him this really crappy video that I put together one evening, sent it over to him. And he said, awesome, come on out and, and rehearse for the and maybe apply for the festival. So I flew out there and um, I showed it. I did probably the worst demo ever of a product. It was like falling apart. It, the product was horrible. I did a terrible demo. But, you know, he didn't kick me out of the room, Uh, but he had some mock judges. They were like his friends that were venture capitalists and they were asking me questions. And uh, one of the questions was like, so what's after this? And and I was kind of vague. And I said, well, we have some ideas for the physical product and how to make it reusable. 
and and we'll be doing that in future releases of the product, but not the one we're going to launch next week um, on crowdfunding. And uh, and Jason just stopped me. And he said, "Hey, who the fuck do you think you are? You think you're the Elon Musk of notebooks? A venture capitalist from Sequoia just asked you what you got going on in your product roadmap, and you're being vague. Like, tell him." And so I said, "Okay, well, one of the cooler versions of the notebook that we fi- we think we figured out is you're going to write in it." And to erase in it, erase it after you scan, you're going to take this thing and pop it in the microwave for a minute or so. And it's all going to erase. You're going to be able to reuse it. And Jason said, stop, stop. He's like, that's the best thing you've ever said. It's the only good thing you've said. And uh, there's no way you're going to be on my stage next week and not announce that. And so I went back to the Airbnb we were staying at with Jake and I as we were preparing and I was like, do you think we can make this? We had a prototype that kind of worked in, in one microwave pretty well, uh, but hadn't been extensively tested. And we kind of said, you know what? Let's just figure it out. Like, we'll just give ourselves plenty of time. Instead of like three months, we'll give ourselves like seven months to deliver it. That'll be plenty of time. And we'll figure out, you know, the exact paper quality, the exact this, exact that, how to turn this prototype into something that worked um, consistently. Well, it turns out to make a book that is consistently microwaves and does so in a way that that dissipates heat in the in the notebook in a consistent way um, in mo- one microwave is pretty doable. But in all of these different microwaves across the world and all of their different ways that they they heat things up, you, we'd have a notebook that uh, really didn't erase anything in one notebook. It didn't get it didn't get hot enough in one microwave, yet it would burst into flames in another microwave because they're just so vastly different. Uh, so we, we to say we struggled to come up with a universal design that worked consistently across the world was an understatement. We um, announced a delay, and then we had to announce another delay. We hired product development firms. One of the firms we hired had done work with the coolest cooler, which at the time was was a uh, was a was a phenomenon that hadn't yet failed and showed a lot of promise. And they were actually quite, all of these people were talented and charged us tens of thousands of dollars to help us test and try different um, constructions of the book. None of them bore, bore fruit. And ultimately it was, it was Jake, it was me late nights over and over um, just trying different materials, trying different ideas and coming up finally with a, with a design that would work. Um, consistently in, in different microwaves. And it was funny. It was like the thing that worked was, hey, you have to put a mug in with this book because that slows down the microwaves if it's a, a very hot microwave. And instead of giving a prescribed time, like put it in for one minute or two minutes, instead we put a little thermochromic logo on the front cover. And when that turns from blue to clear and you have to look at it through the microwave, then it's done. And that was the key. Uh, to making instructions that would work in every microwave um, and wouldn't burst into flames and would erase your book. So, man, it took, I can't tell you how many, um, how many dark, dark days when we thought we were just not going to be able to pull it off. We finally got it working. And then we had a one printer print out, you know, thousands and thousands of books and the logo would just like rub off. They didn't properly code it. Uh, So then we had to announce yet another delay and take another huge financial hit from that from that uh, printing partner. Then we finally had all the product pretty much done and in a warehouse and getting it out. We didn't have a proper fulfillment partner. The printer that we were using told us that they could ship out the product 
And it was a complete nightmare. They didn't have the proper systems to be able to track orders, make sure that they got in people's hands. And for our customer service, our one customer service person to be able to tell people uh, whether it shipped or not and give them a tracking number. And it was just a nightmare getting it out. I think when all was said and done, the the last backer probably got their book eight or nine months after we our estimated ship date. And you know, through those days, we were financially in the red. We didn't know if we were going to make it financially. We were getting what were basically death threats on on the Kickstarter comment and I mean Indiegogo comment thread. And we were really bankrupt at one point. We were we weren't going to be able to get out all of our books. We were about a little over 200k in the hole. And uh, we happened to have the idea to launch another crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter for the Rocketbook Wave, which is essentially the same product. But this project was going to fund some additional integrations as well. And we launched that on Kickstarter and we raised another 400K and change. And that got us out of bankruptcy. Kickstarter did not like that. They almost pulled our project. But the only justification we had was that it was actually funding these new integrations, even though the reward, which was the the book we shipped, was basically the same. We got away with it. Uh, To this day, Kickstarter maybe has us on their, um, their, you know, their list of, of, you know, naughty kids or something. But, um, you know, since then, we've been, we've had an amazing track record in delivering an amazing product in, in future series of, of Rocketbooks since. And, and we'll be launching a Kickstarter, or we, by the time this airs, we'll have launched a Kickstarter for what is going to be the coolest damn notebook ever invented, uh, the Rocketbook Orbit. Very exciting stuff there, man. So I was remembering back of when we helped you guys launch the first rocket book and they Calcanus put a gag order on any press or media outreach. So we couldn't even promote the pre-launch of the product until you went live on stage. I remember pressing that button once you went on stage to be able to take orders, you know, while you were up there pitching to the audience. That was amazing. Yeah, we we worked with Aventus on that initial launch and which ended up being an amazing success and you guys were called command partners back in the day that's that that was how long ago it was but Ventus right today and uh yeah you were somewhat hamstrung but you know together we worked together and we we pulled it off and we got a lot of press for it you know we even had I think one one press outlet that you sourced like crate.com that generated uh, I don't know, like sixty thousand dollars worth of measurable orders from that, from from that, uh, from that uh, one thing. Uncrate, yeah, yeah, uncrate, yeah. We reached out. We've got a good contact over there and got you guys covered there. And yeah, boom. I mean, that's the guys. You know, it's like the a higher class of touch of modern, if you will. It's kind of like James Bond's email yeah, list of cool so things cool. to have. <laughs> Do you remember? So like, all- you remember though. Uh, the, it was like the the first day, remember, we did like 8K and then the next day, I don't know, we did like 10K and that was, we were amazed. And then yeah. Indiegogo uh, put us in their newsletter and, you know, that you get a like little... 100K. Yeah, it was, it was like, you get a little notification, ding, when you get a new backer. But that Saturday we woke up and our phones were going, bing, 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 And it was just like, we, we thought our phones were broken, we was going crazy and we made... Yeah, 100K in one day. Do you remember that? That was amazing. Yeah. yeah, that was nuts, man. It's crazy. You know, once the audience picks up on it and, you know, nobody wants to be the first one on the dance floor, but once everybody's out there having a good time, everybody joins in, right? Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. 
So I love the fact that, you know, obviously you've got a ton of learnings and, you know, bringing products to market, but I'm really interested in terms of what's changed over the years in terms of your lead ups to launching new campaigns, like from the first time launching lots of things we've learned along the way. And you guys have learned now that you've done multiple campaigns. What are some of those tips that you can convey to our audience of things that now you're going to do for number five here upcoming? Sure. So now we have a team and we have an uh, email list. Probably the email list is the number one asset we have in, in Monchica campaign. So if you're a new campaign creator, I mean, you're doing great if you've got one or a few thousand email addresses, right? And getting using that to get it off to a fast start on day one, you're going to send everybody an email on day one uh, and try to get up in the rankings on day one with your email list. Now that we've evolved and we have, you know, well over a million email addresses, we won't email everybody on the first day. We'll, we'll send quite a few on the first day. But what happens, we, we call it riding the wave. So we'll shoot up to number one, let's say, or number two in our first day. And we'll, we'll do that mostly by our email list and maybe some people finding us on the platform. But then if we don't do anything, you know, we'll start to drift down over time. But as we start to drift down, boom, now we'll hit the the next um, cohort in our email list and boom, right back up at the top of the wave. And then once we see ourselves drifting down, then we'll hit the email, the next part of the email list. So we will not use all of our powder in the first day in terms of our email list. We'll spread it out. And the, there are really two things that we think are really important for getting people from the platform to back your campaign, at least two initial things. One is being high in the ranking for a category. So if you're in technology and you are number one, even for a day, you're going to have a great day because people are going to find you. You've got that social proof. And then as well, having a really spicy hero image that people that that's really uh, captures people attention and that tagline. And, um, that tagline, it doesn't need to explain what it is. It needs to provoke curiosity for people to click in. So our tagline for our best campaign was the last notebook you're ever going to need or ever going to buy, question mark. That's the rocket book Everlast. And so people, it didn't explain what it was exactly. And it just showed this picture of a notebook splashing through water right? There's no way somebody would look at that and understand exactly what the product was, but damn, they were curious. So then they clicked in and having a a great video, really great copy with some good zingers in there, some good copywriting, make it fun and jovial. That's our style. That's where you get a chance to really engage people and explain to them why it's interesting. But really getting people to that page, the number one thing is get up in that ranking for at least for one day have a great hero image and have a great tagline. And now you get a shot at converting that. Yeah, I think at the heart of the you know early adopter, if you will, and why crowdfunding is so beautiful is it truly does convey into that curiosity realm of what's next? What else is out there? You know, and a product like this yeah. and a catchy headline of curious to see what the last notebook looks like is something we like, hell yeah, I want to see that, you know, and it just entices you into it to get you into that. But I'm curious to dive into a little bit more with, the database that you guys have now of a million email addresses, which is awesome. How do you go about segmenting that audience and, you know, tiering out emails based on spend or did they back 
previous campaigns, multiple campaigns, et cetera. How do you break up that audience now that you have you know, statistical relevance within it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we use a, a tool called Clavio, which is a fairly sophisticated um, rule-based email uh, marketing tool. You don't, most backers or most uh, uh, creators don't need such a thing. Like Mailchimp was was great for us for you know into several seven seven figure campaigns. Uh, there's a few things that that we do segment on. One is a lot of these email addresses are people who use the RocketBook app. Maybe they bought a RocketBook on Amazon and then they go to download the app. And we can also, so we, we have their login and they've, they've opted in for, for mar- email marketing in this case. And, um, and we can also see that they, they are actively using a rocket book. They've maybe scanned a page in the last you know, month or so. That is a, a really high value email address. And so that is you know, one valuable cohort. Uh, we also have email addresses from past campaigns and we can see whether they backed us in the past and how long ago that was. Those are, uh, you know, the, the, the number one thing that factor as to whether someone is going to back your campaign isn't necessarily whether they've like bought a product like yours. It's whether they've backed a campaign ever before, right? Are they experienced with crowdfunding in any way that far surpasses whether they meet, meet some other profile factor. Like if they're, male or female, if they're, you know, other things that might match the product, just having back to campaign is the number one factor for campaign conversion. Absolutely. So in talking about your backers and supporters of the four crowdfunding campaigns, how have you gone about managing feedback, you know, with one customer service agent at the time when you launched to then pulling that feedback in and potentially, you know, getting new ideas for new products for them? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. So today we have a sophisticated customer intelligence platform. And so when you start using our product, when you use our app and you've, you've opted in for you know, email communications, uh, about 10 days after you have started using our app, you get a, a survey from us and you get a net promoter. We ask you out of one to 10, what, what are the chances you would recommend this product to a friend? And then we ask for their feedback. What did you like about it? What What are the problems you're experiencing with it? And we actually, you know, this year, Michael, what have we got? About fifty thousand responses to that survey. NPS in twenty twenty. NPS, yeah, in, in it, well, in twenty nineteen. In twenty nineteen, we had uh, over a hundred thousand total touch points. I'd say NPS was probably around fifty thousand. Yes, we literally have about fifty thousand survey responses, and our customer service team goes through every single one and tags them with different things like, oh, I had a problem with the cover or I had a problem with this, et cetera, tags them. And then we take that and put them onto a two by two matrix of effort versus impact of how, how and we, we pick the, the improvements that we're gonna work on next. And every quarter we pick a bunch of improvements and we incrementally improve the product over and over. And we're also listening for new ideas. One thing you can go to is ideas.getrocketbook.com. It's a place where people submit the feature ideas or new product ideas they would like to see us do next and they can upvote them as well. It's kind of like it it it's kind of like Reddit but for for features, right? And uh and we really prioritize those things that bubble up to the top. For example, one of them was was a product for whiteboards. And so then that prioritized our idea to to do rocketbook beacons, which are for essentially orange stick on 
things that go onto the corners of your whiteboard. And when you point our app at it, it does cool stuff. It turns it essentially into a Rocketbook page, but also allows you to stream it uh, in real time to anyone with a web browser to follow along with an image of your whiteboard uh, as it changes during your meeting. Uh, so these are the types of things we're, we're doing because we use crowdfunding very early on as a mechanism to draw our customers in. We used it not just to fund our product, but like our logo, we put together options with the designer and then we pushed it out to our crowdfunding backers and they voted on what is now today our logo. So we use it as a mechanism to bring customers into the product experience. And so that's why even today, why we're, we're, we're a sizable company compared to what we were when we started. And, but we still use the platform, not just for financial reasons, but really to, to create a party for nerds. Uh, for product nerds who want to be involved in the product process, want to have a say in it, we will find reasons to put out a survey to them and have them make decisions on the final final product, um, give us ideas, and really become part of our extended idea ideation and product team and customer service team. So in talking about nerds, let's talk about Shark Tank. <laughs> so I know uh, you aired on the season finale. I think it was you said season eight back in yeah. 2017, which seems so long ago. Crazy. Which was a great episode. You guys crushed it on there, but obviously those guys didn't see what everybody else saw. So let's talk a little bit about your experience of one getting on the show. How did they find you? How did they reach out to you? And then your experience with you know getting filmed and finally airing. Man, yeah, if, if memory serves, I think they found us. They had, you know, they have junior level producers probably reaching out to every successful crowdfunding campaign uh, for startup ideas. Uh, I think that's how they found us. Uh, it might have been through Indiegogo, but memory doesn't even, I can't even quite remember. But they reached out to us at one point and we filled in the application. We got approved. They wanted to have us on. This is, um, it, it, you know, we were, we had, we were just about to. We were just about done shipping to all our backers, but we hadn't really gotten on Amazon. We were just about to get our e-commerce site on. They invited us to go out there and film in California, uh, and we were really nervous, Jake and I. And we decided to say no, not now, maybe later, um, because we imagined ourselves walking on stage and them saying, "Great, you made a million whatever dollars, one point nine million dollars on crowdfunding." But this thing has never been on retail. We don't know it's going to succeed. You don't have any data. You guys are dreaming. Um, this is going to fail. And we just wouldn't have any like real-life data to back it up. But we knew, give us a few months and we'll have that data. We'll be on Amazon for a few months. We'll be on our website for a few months. We did that. We had great sales coming into it. We had, I think, over $2 million worth of sales when we aired in the fall. Uh, not aired in the, when we filmed in the fall. But of course, we had a small track record and they, they picked that apart. And even Lori said, uh, don't you think that this had a lot to do with back to school coming up? And I was like, yeah, probably people buy notebooks. And, and she dismissed our sales. Um, and actually, we, when we gave the demo, we were in these orange astronaut suits and we gave the demo, it went in the microwave and they were like, this is crazy. And they didn't take us seriously at all. And then when we told them that we sold over 20,000 units, they couldn't believe it. That it made their like heads explode, and they were almost angry because they hadn't been taking us seriously. And there we were presenting some pretty high sales, but still, like they they couldn't get their their head around it, and we were basically laughed off Shark Tank. Well, you know, I think you guys are laughing now, right? Uh, yeah, totally. Well, I mean, we we came back kind of with a chip on our shoulder, 
And with that feeling, we decided, hey, before this thing airs, we don't know when it's going to air. Now, keep in mind, it was like we filmed in September and it aired in May. So it was like a whole school year that that went by where we were wondering what was going to happen, whether they were going to edit it to make us look good or bad or whatever. But we went to work and we came up with our next product and we launched that like right around Christmas in between that time. And it became the biggest sensation that we've ever had. And it's called uh, the Rocketbook Core today. It used to be called the Rocketbook Everlast. And uh, it's a reusable notebook that works with Pilot Friction pens. A little bit of water erases it. And it delivers on reusability uh, in an amazing way. And today it's you know well over 95% of our sales. It was almost a $2 million Kickstarter. And uh, it just it just kept climbing and climbing. And by the time that episode aired, we had already on our own multiplied our sales by many multiples and were on a huge growth trajectory. And when that episode aired, I barely even saw the impact of rock of, um, of Shark Tank on our sales because we already had a pretty good big basis of sales. Uh, so that I, I saw a blip that weekend when we aired, but it just, we were even on our own organically we were outpacing anything that we could expect to, to see from. Yeah, Shark that's crazy. Tank. So with all the things that you've learned through this whole process of Shark Tanks and crowdfunding and, you know, Kickstarter campaigns or Indiegogo campaigns, what, what was your biggest surprise so far? Man, I'll tell you, no matter how much you prepare, now that we're seasoned product creators and crowdfund campaign runners, we still can never take out 0% of the risk of getting a product to market. Uh, we were, um, we, we launched Rocketbook Beacons, these, which are essentially these, these orange stickers on a silicone substrate. Uh, that, that's the physical product. It's a fairly simple product. Uh, and we gave ourselves plenty of time to deliver on it so that we could deliver early. We were in the, we were, we were in the, uh, the cadence of delivering early on every campaign. And we thought this would be a slam dunk. And it turned out, even you know, we ended up delivering a couple months late on that because silicone is, is a funny uh, substance to work with. And we, we got about, um, we, we got all of these uh, samples from, from uh, a manufacturer that were supposed to be the production sample that we were printing on. And they worked great and it was supposed to just work perfectly. And then when we got basically two tons of silicone delivered, it didn't work. When we printed on it, it would rub off. And we're talking about 40,000 units of Rocketbook beacons that we had the, had the two tons of silicone for. Um, and when we printed on it, it would all rub off. And it had to do with the fact that when they packed this shipment, this two-ton shipment of silicone, they packed it in in sort of film that had a, a talcum powder to prevent it from sticking, which they hadn't in the samples, in the production samples they sent us during prototyping. And just the way they packed it uh, made it not perform in the printing process. And it took us a long time to figure out that that was the cause, that it was actually this powder that was getting in the way. And that created a, a, a couple month delay. Uh, we, we got it out. We rallied as a team. It was extremely stressful. But it goes to show you, even in our, I don't know, sixth crowdfunding campaign and product delivery, uh, we're, we still haven't taken, we can't take 0% of the risk uh, or 100% of the risk off the table. We're still taking a risk by doing crowdfunding and setting a ship date 
uh, before we actually have the product in a warehouse ready to go. Uh, but we do it for real. We, we, we design the product, we get it all ready, we know who our suppliers are, but we haven't pressed go. It's right after the campaign that we, that we start creating the product and manufacturing it. And it's still a risk factor. It's still an adventure and our backers are along for the ride. But, you know, at least in that scenario, we got great feedback and encouragement from backers who, who said, you guys are amazing. You know, I put together a video and explained all the, all the details of what can go wrong with silicone and what went wrong with us. And we made a little graphic and all of this. And people, for the most part, really appreciated that we took the time to explain the details of what went wrong in the manufacturing process and what we had planned to fix it. And then when we actually delivered, people were completely psyched about it. And today, it's like a 4.8 out of 5 star product on Amazon, which is, you know, if you guys have ever seen Amazon, it's really high up there in terms of uh, product satisfaction. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about the advice of, you know, someone taking their product from a successful crowdfunding campaign over to Amazon after. Yeah, I think um, one program, I don't even know if it's still around anymore, but... Um, Launchpad, right? Yeah, Amazon Launchpad was, I think that that was really good for us. Um, they they took us in as a new product off of uh, crowdfunding and featured us on Amazon Launchpad. And that really helped to get us off to the races. And, and today, Amazon is our number one channel and will be uh, for, for quite a while, I think. I think that... If you there's two ways to to sell through Amazon. One is to be a vendor. Uh, it's usually larger companies who are a vendor, meaning you sell to Amazon at the wholesale price and they sell it to their customers. The other way to do it is to be a seller. So usually startups are usually sellers because that's the only option available to them. But what that means is you ship to Amazon the product. They don't buy it from you. It's when a customer buys it, then you get paid. And Amazon takes a percentage. That can actually be a lot better for especially a small customer because you can set the price, you can control it, you can take control of your inventory, etc. Make sure that Amazon doesn't run out. But once you become bigger, Amazon will probably approach you and ask you to become a vendor and have a lot of um, benefits to that. They take more of your margin, but ostensibly they promise to do more you know, things to promote and feature your product. I can't say I don't have, you can't A-B test these scenarios in a controlled, you know, scientific study as to what is better. It's been our experience. We've done well as a vendor, but uh, I would say as a, I would start as a seller, see how that goes because you have a lot more control, even of your copy and all of the assets that you have to feature your products. You just have more control over that and play around with your price and see how sales are. Those are types of things that we can't do because Amazon really controls a lot of the stuff. So enjoy your time as a smaller startup and as your time as a seller and do a lot of experiments uh, through the Amazon platform and use that to your advantage. Solid advice, Joe. Well, this is gonna get us into our launch round where I'm gonna rapid fire, rocket fire, a few questions at you. You good to go? I like it. Go for it. So what inspired you to be an entrepreneur? Huh. I think what I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but what the timing was I had uh, three young kids and I decided, well, if they become three older kids in college, I'm never going to do it. So let's do it now. So having the pressure of actually um, having young kids might scare scare some people off. But for me, it was like now or never. So if you could meet with any entrepreneur throughout history, who would it be? Definitely Elon Musk. 
just his first principles thinking, his ability to take risk and put it all on the line, and just truly hard work and true engineering focus as a CEO. Um, Elon Musk, number one. What would be your first question for him? Teach me, please teach me more about how to think in a first principles, uh, you know, method. Uh, just like how he thinks, uh, thinking about first principles. I just, I wish I could absorb more of that from him. Solid. Uh, any books you would recommend to our audience? The Lean Startup, number one. I got that when I started my company, and I'm so glad I did. Uh, it's it's a principle that we still run our company through, and every single employee has to read at least once at Rocketbook. Where do you see yourself in five years? I see myself as the CEO of Rocketbook still, but I just see Rocketbook being a household name. Uh, imagine a whole aisle in Target and a whole aisle in Staples of Rocketbook products. All the end caps. That would be All amazing. the end caps. <laughs> All right. Last question, Joe. What does the future of crowdfunding look like? I think the future of crowdfunding uh, includes equity and um, a mix of equity and, um, and actual uh, rewards. Now they're kind of like segregated. There's equity crowdfunding and there's reward-based crowdfunding. I think bringing them together could be really interesting. Absolutely. Well, Joe, this has been awesome. This is your opportunity to give our audience your pitch, tell people what you're all about, where people should go, and why they should check you out. Yeah, head to getrocketbook.com or check us out, Get Rocketbook on Instagram and, and other uh, social channels to kind of see how we operate, see some of our cool, funny videos that we put together for, for every product that we create, and uh, you know, check out the different products we have and, and uh, shoot us you know, your ideas at ideas.getrocketbook.com. And thanks for checking us out. Absolutely. And audience, thanks again for tuning in. Visit artofthekickstart.com for notes, transcript, links to the upcoming campaign and everything else we talked about today. And of course, thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors, The Gadget Flow and Product Hype. Joe, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Hey, Roy, one more thing. Yes. Head to Kickstarter and search for Rocketbook Orbit. There we go. Rocketbook Orbit. You heard it here first, folks. Thank you again, Joe, for being on the show. Thanks, Roy. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart, the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it, and of course, if you love this episode a lot, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com slash iTunes. It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on inventuspartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.